This morning we're going to continue our faith and work series in Titus chapter 2. There's some explicit verses that address the issue of work and, and faith here in verse 9 and 10. We're going to talk about today about making the gospel look good. Making the gospel look good. Now I know some of you, when you hear that title, you may have some pushback and you may feel like, well, like the gospel looks good without us, right? Do The gospel's glorious without us. We don't need to do anything ourselves to make the gospel look good, right? It's no. The gospel is good and it's glorious and it's powerful and it's beautiful and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but God has called his people to adorn the gospel as we see in this text, to to make it look attractive to those who are outside. Men, I'm, I'm sure many of you have, have had the experience that I've had uh, going shopping with your wife. And, and sometimes it can be a vexing experience. You know, you're in a, you're in a women's store and you're waiting outside while your wife is in the changing room trying different outfits on. I got some head, head nods over here. And then they come out and they say, Hey, how does this look on me, honey? Right. And so, of course, you want to be honest. You want to tell the truth. Uh, but then you don't want to be there all day, right? So like, so you want, you want your wife to make a decision and make a good decision, a wise decision, and then you just want to move on, right? And, and, and I've told my wife, you know, you look, you know, you don't, you don't need that outfit to look good. But, but women, uh, you know, when they, when they have a nice outfit, they tend to feel, they feel like it makes them look better, right? Is that not true? It's great to wear nice outfits. It's great to adorn yourselves and make yourself look more beautiful, if you will, externally. And and in this chapter, Titus, uh, Paul writes to Titus and he explains how Christians can help make the gospel look good to those who are outside. Make it look attractive. Make it be winsome to to non-Christians. I've talked to many non-Christians who've had objections to Christianity, and one of the biggest objections that I've heard from non-Christians is this, the church is full of hypocrites. Anybody ever heard that before? They won't go to church, they don't like Christianity because they've seen hypocrites. They've seen people who would profess one thing, but then live another way, right? And so it's it's repelled many non-Christians from even being open to the gospel because they've seen people living in hypocrisy, mean-spirited people who name the name of Christ, unloving people who name the name of Christ, people who don't walk in integrity who name the name of Christ. And in Titus 2, Paul instructs the church, or Titus, and, and, and how to lead the church and teach the church to live in a way that adorns the gospel that doesn't bring uh, a shame to the name of Jesus, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and our belief in the gospel should change the way we behave. All right, our, our, our conduct should line up and it should reflect that we are believers indeed. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going this morning from the text is that Christians are to help make the gospel attractive to others through their character, through their conduct, and through their conversation. Christians are to help make the gospel attractive to others through their character, through their conduct, and through their conversation. 
Paul writes Titus in chapter 2 and he gives him some specifics on uh, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, uh, bond servants. And he, and he instructs them in how to live and how to honor God as Christians in their context and make the gospel look attractive. In verse 10 and verse 5, it specifically refers to that. In verse 5, it's the negative, it's in the negative that, 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 they, that the word of God, it says that the word of God would not be blasphemed. So he it gives instructions in how to live that the word of God may not be blasphemed. In verse ten, it's 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 a little more in the positive. It's it's so in, in instructing the bond servants, he says, do so so that you may make the the doctrine of God attractive. So let's go ahead and read in Titus chapter two. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified. Self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And then he goes on and he gives some theological basis there for this conduct. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. And all God's people said, I just want to start here with verse 1 in this section here. Uh, Paul's instructing Titus, this young leader, to address the, the Christians in Crete. And the, the context there uh, in chapter 1, uh, Paul says that there's these people who profess to know God, but in their works deny him. Verse 16, 1, 16. There's these false teachers. Uh, the, the, the island of Crete was a place that uh, seemed to be a, a part, party central, a party island, if you will. There seems to be a lot of drinking and partying going on because Paul addresses that and he's addressing the Christian community not to indulge in that lifestyle. The Cretans had a reputation for being, in chapter one, lazy gluttons. How would you like that of your, of your culture, of your people? They're, we're lazy gluttons, right? And, and so that's not the kind of characteristics that should mark 
a Christian, any Christian, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, employees, bond servants, that shouldn't mark a Christian at all. Titus is one of the pastoral epistles. So you got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and you got Titus. So Paul was writing a pastor, leader in the church and, and giving him direction and how to set the church in order, how to, how to lead the church in spiritual health. Okay, and so there's a couple major themes that we see in the book of Titus, and and one of them is this idea of of good works. Paul mentions it several times. So so in in the context of a people who tend to be lazy gluttons, all right, and and still name the name of Christ, he he urges them to maintain good works, and and says Jesus died to make his own a people who are zealous. For good works. And he makes it very clear in Titus that we're not saved by our works in chapter 3. Right. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. But, but we're saved through what Jesus Christ has done for us. But a life that is saved and rescued and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ should have good works following. Right. Right. All right? The effects of grace, the effects of the gospel changing a person's life should lead them to, to living a life of, of good works. Uh, that's a mark of a healthy Christian. Another theme within uh, Titus uh, is this idea of, this. he uses the word sound. So sound doctrine, sound speech. Be, he exhorts older men to be sound in faith and love. And, and the word just simply means healthy. Okay, Paul is concerned about the spiritual health of the church. Okay, and so one of the things that's necessary for anybody's spiritual health is to get good, solid biblical teaching that's gospel centered. And so in the pastoral epistles, when Paul's talking to Titus, when he's talking to Timothy, this idea of sound teaching and sound living and sound speech is emphasized because sound teaching or sound doctrine leads the church into spiritual health. It, it should lead to healthy, godly, Christ-like living. Healthy teaching leads to healthy beliefs and behaviors. Paul knew that one's beliefs affects their behavior. Paul knew that doctrine was important to shape our duty in how we live. Okay, And so he put emphasis on it. But he didn't just leave the Christians with mere doctrine to have a set of beliefs to merely believe, but no application to apply and to live. So Paul gives both in, in his epistles. He, he gives how to live uh, godly, con- in co- godly conduct and character, but he also gives solid gospel-centered teaching. Amen? Amen. To have one... To have one with, to have godly conduct and character and, 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 uh, good, good living is without good gospel teaching is mere moralism. Right. Okay. And it doesn't save anybody. Okay. And, and, and to have good, solid, sound doctrine, but no living and application is just kind of like orthodox faith and belief. And that's great. We, we need that. And it should lead us to living godly lives. Amen. Okay, so he starts off saying, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is something many churches need, many pastors and leaders need to to take heed to. Like, preach the word. 
and teach what's healthy. Teach, give the church something that's going to benefit them spiritually. Don't just feed them candy and tickle their ears and let them feed on, on just junk food, jokes and stories and opinions. Preach the Word of God. Teach sound doctrine. He goes on, and he gives a list for, for older men in, in, in verse 2. He says, older men, be sober-minded, be dignified, be self-controlled, be sound in faith and love and in, in steadfastness. And so there's several characteristics here that he's calling older men to walk in. And the first one is this idea of being sober-minded. Okay, and Just think about what the opposite of sober-minded might look like, if, if that helps you. Intoxicated, yeah. Uh, he, and he, he addressed this idea of self-control and sober-mindedness, uh, just maintaining a posture, a lifestyle that, that, that is, is not out of control, that in our thinking and in our living. So be sober-minded. Level-headed, I guess, is another way to, to describe that. Be, be dignified, or I use the word serious here. Be serious. Another way, another, I think the NIV says it like worthy of respect. Like carry yourself as older men, uh, respectfully. Some, some older folks tend to feel like, uh, you know, maybe they're, 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 they're outdated, if you will, and maybe not as useful for God in ministry in their, in their old age. And, and I just want to push back, uh, because they can be godly examples and the young men and women need they're godly examples uh, of, of, of men and women who are uh, dignified and, and serious, not silly, not, not clowns, but serious and dignified, living lives worthy of respect and honor, sober-minded, self-controlled. This word self-controlled uh, is, is mentioned several times here for, for several of the groups that, that Paul is, addresses Self-control should mark the life of any, should mark the life of any Christian. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Christians should not live reckless, out of control lives. We should be able to manage our thoughts, our emotions, our words, our actions, and not live out of control. And by the way, drunkenness goes with this idea of being out of control. The other uh, instruction there is to be sound in faith. And again, that word just means healthy. Be healthy as an older man. Be healthy and, and, and have a, a healthy faith in God in the season of life that you're in. Be, be loving. Be, be healthy through your faith and through your love. Don't, don't let disappointments, discouragements make your, your love grow cold and harden and and become an old bitter man. I, I've seen many godly men who in their old age, they just seem to get softer and more tender and more loving. But they, they sure do still have a firm hug and a firm ha- handshake. And some of y'all know who I'm thinking about here when I, when I say that. Mr. Mr. David George over at uh, CCI Dallas there. Uh, that brother is up there. He definitely qualifies as one of the, the older men, probably the oldest oldest guy at CCI Dallas. And, and him and Mrs. George are just beautiful examples of people walking with the Lord in their later season of life. And they're examples. They're examples to young people. They love 
to, to take young people out to lunch after church. I mean, many of you have probably been invited by them to go to lunch or, or those of us who are at CCI Dallas. And they're just a great example of godly people who in their old age are walking in love, walking in faith, uh, walking in, in steadfastness or patience, endurance. Older men at, in, at the end of their life, they, they may tend to, to check out and, and not finish strong. Okay, and, and Paul exhorts Titus to tell them to, to be sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Don't, don't give up. Don't, don't check out. Don't retire, if you will. Like, like you're still useful for the ministry. You're still, you're still, you're an important part of the body of Christ to be an influence and make an impact on, on others. Amen? So be sober-minded, be serious, be self-controlled, be sound in faith, be loving, be steadfast. And then we have older women. Paul addresses older women. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so reverent, this, this idea of being serious and worshipful and reverent uh, in, in their behavior. They're to, they're to model reverence. To, to other young women. And then they're not to, they're, they're to be truthful. They're not to be slanderers, uh, with their, with their tongue. I, let me just say this, especially since it's Mother's Day, women are, uh, tend to be great communicators. When men and women, when, when, when women have women connects, women tend to go deeper, faster than, than men do. Uh, when, when guys and, and men and women, uh, play, uh, games, communication games like gesture or catchphrase or fishbowl, usually us men get humbled by, by losing that game, right? And so communication, talking and talking with other, other folks tends to be a strength of women. And, and here, Paul says, he instructs older women not to be slanders. Don't let that strength of chatting with others right. be distorted and twisted to where you use your tongue to tear down people and say oh. things you shouldn't say about them. Don't underestimate the power of your tongue. Rather, instead, they should be those who teach. They, they should teach other women. They should teach with their lives, with their examples. But they should they should pull other young women aside and say, "Honey, let, let let's chat. Let's let's go out to coffee, and and have those conversations where they they are to teach younger women specifically how to love their husbands, how to how to love their children." And so on. And so following on on what uh, Kevin shared last week on discipleship in the workplace. Paul here is instructing the Christian, the, the, the Christians in Crete to have this culture of discipleship that's happening within. Okay, it should happen with older men and younger men. There should be mentoring going on. And Titus was, as a spiritual leader, was to lead in that and cultivate that. And then it should happen with older women teaching younger women. And so I just want to ask you, who are you discipling right now? This is, this is the culture that we want to have within this church. This is, this is the way that God has ordained for the kingdom of God to grow through discipleship, through evangelism and discipleship. 
Who are you discipling right now? Who are you meeting with? And, and you're meeting with them with the purpose and the aim to help them to grow into the man or woman God has created them to be. And so if you're not doing that right now, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for somebody outside of uh, mothers, outside of your children. Dads is outside of your children. I think our families should be the primary, the, the have priority in the discipleship uh, role and, and leading and, and loving our families. But then outside of that, we, we should invest in other people's lives, give ourselves to other people to help them be all that God's created them to be. So older women are not to be slanderers, they're to be truthful. They're also to be level-headed, not slaves to much wine. This issue of wine keeps coming up. He doesn't forbid drinking any wine at all, but he, but he says, don't, don't give yourself to drunkenness. Don't become entangled with drunkenness. Many of us have been affected and damaged by alcohol, alcoholism, either through uh, a parent or a loved one or even our own lives. We've been affected by the, the damaging effects of giving ourselves or someone else giving themselves to wine or alcohol and it destroys lives. Uh, it's a blessing. Uh, wine itself is a blessing and it's not evil, but it's, it's easily misused. And in, and in this culture, drinking and, 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 and indulging in it was kind of a virtuous thing, kind of a noble thing. Like, that's, that's what you do, you know? And Paul's, Paul instructs the Christians to be countercultural. So be a teacher. Older women, teach other younger women. Specifically, teach them to love their husbands and their children. Teach them to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay? Now, I want to be careful here and I want to be precise with how I address this uh, particular uh, verse or two because this is not a, not a popular, this concept is not popular in our culture today. Specifically, uh, the idea of working at home. There are several moms here and, and women here who work at home. And I want to first just kind of hit this in a positive side. That is an honorable thing in a legitimate job and a legitimate role that you're serving in. So uh, you stay-at-home moms, you homemakers who are at home. Uh, when somebody asks you, what do you do? You don't have to say, well, I don't, I don't work. You, you can say, I'm a, I'm a Uber driver. I do dry cleaning. I'm a chef. I'm a teacher. And the list goes on and on, right? Of everything that you're doing in the home. You're working in the home. Okay. And it's a le- le- legitimate and an honorable role that, that you have in doing so. Okay. Now I, I want to also say that I don't think that Paul was prohibiting in this verse was prohibiting women women working outside of the home. Okay, uh, we see in Proverbs thirty one that that's one aspect of a virtuous woman. She's able to do business outside of the home too, and, and you know help provide for the family. But what we what we see emphasized here is that that women are to lead in managing the homes well, to set the culture, to make the environment of the home a priority and and work outside of the home i think should not displace that priority of making your home a safe 
loving environment where children can flourish in. Amen? And so young, the young women are to be self-controlled. Again, that we see that word coming up over and over again. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, they're to be pure. They're to, they're to work at home. Uh, they're to be kind. Uh, submissive, submissive to husband. Here's, here's another uh, uh, landmine here that we're going to uh, get into. Uh, and let me, let me just push back a little bit on, for, for, for the women's sake that all Christians are called to have a posture of submission to one another right. in the fear of Christ, right. according to Ephesians chapter 5. That should be a humble posture for every Christian in the Christian community. Amen. If you're unteachable and somebody, your wife, men, if your wife can't tell you anything, and, and can't bring any word of correction and you, you have no ears to hear her opinion, then you're, you're probably walking in pride and you're probably not obeying Ephesians chapter five. Cause if your wife's a Christian, your wife has the Holy Spirit too. All right. Uh, and, and so the, the idea biblically, uh, in, in marriage, Paul addresses in, in Ephesians chapter five is, is there should be this loving relationship where the, the, the husbands are serving the wives sacrificially, not, not dragging them along, not demanding and not controlling. Uh, this verse doesn't say, uh, husband or wives obey, uh, your husbands in all things. It says, it says to be submissive. It says to be submissive. And so it's, it's a posture of humility. And I know this is a struggle, especially for wives who have husbands that are abusive. Uh, and, and I would say also that this, this doesn't mean that wives should condone abuse and, and stay in an abusive relationship where they're in danger or where their children are in danger. Uh, it doesn't condone that at all. So there's been, there's been a lot of misuses of this, of this verse and verses like this, but in First Peter chapter three, there are instructions for for wives, and when wives have this posture of humility and godly conduct, even if their husband is an unbeliever, First Peter three says they can win their husbands over with their godly conduct. Amen. If they have a husband who doesn't obey the word, they can win their husband over with their co- godly conduct, and a part of that godly conduct is having this posture of submission and honoring them. Okay? They wives can also repel them and push them further away by by trying to take the reins and control and all right, I'm, I got this then. You don't want to help out, you know. And 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 so uh this is a high calling. This is an honorable calling for women to to live in this way, to to be pure. Jesus died to make a bride who's pure. To, to make us a, a people who reflect Him in our character and in our conduct. Amen. Amen. And it starts in the home. And again, women, if you're working in the home, that is honorable and that's a good thing. And, and then we have women who are not working in the home. And that's great too. That's honorable as well too. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, put one over the other. There are several of us who are in different seasons of life. I feel like we need to have some Q and A on this at the end. Uh, if you if you guys want to talk about it, feel free to um, to ask or open that up. One theologian said, "No condition or no period of life is to remain unaffected by the sanctifying influence 
of the gospel. These instructions that Paul's giving older men and younger men and older women and younger women are ways that we are uh, showing the gospel, ways that we're shaped by the gospel. Paul also addresses younger men. And he just gives like one verse here. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Like, okay. Obviously, young men need that, right? They, they need, they just, they just, that, that needs to be a priority for young men. Like, get control. Like, like learn to control yourself and, and don't be out of control. Don't be reckless in your living, but live self-controlled lives. And then in verse seven and eight, he, he lumps, uh, young Titus in there with those young men. And he says to him, show yourself in all aspects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, sound speech. Again, there's that word sound, healthy, healthy doctrine, healthy speech. Uh, that is to set the tone for the church leaders. So in chapter one, Paul gave Titus characteristics of what an elder, a spiritual leader in the church should be like. And basically it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a healthy Christian. It's a mature Christian, somebody who's walking with the Lord and is spiritually healthy. And it's important that churches have healthy leaders because they are pace setters for the rest of the body. Fabulous. All right. And so those who embrace uh, leaders who embrace false teaching and teach false teaching and leaders who have lives that aren't self-controlled, that aren't disciplined, that aren't loving, that aren't godly cause much damage to the body of Christ. They endorse reckless living in the life of Christians. Ungodly living in the lives of Christians. And so leaders are to, spiritual leaders are to live in such a way that their life, that they're above reproach so that nobody can condemn their conduct. So nobody can bring an accusation in its stick so that the opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And this is all for the gospel's sake. This is for the, the name of Jesus. Amen. Christians represent Jesus. And Christian leaders represent Jesus. And it does much damage to uh, the, the advance of the gospel when there is ungodly conduct practiced within the church. Uh, the next group he addresses is bond servants. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, of our God and Savior. Okay, here's, here's what it looks like to make the gospel look good in your workplace. Okay? Be submissive to your employers, your bosses, your supervisors. Don't be argumentative. Don't be a troublemaker. Be a peacemaker in the workplace. Please them and seek to, to be pleasing to them. Not, not because you're a man pleaser, but because ultimately you want to please Christ and you know that you're serving Christ and He's the one who will reward you. Don't steal. Don't, don't pilfer. No pilfering. Show good, good faith. Uh, and, and all this reflects and, and adorns the gospel and it helps make the gospel more winsome to, to the outsiders. What if we had a church that was characterized by these things that Paul's listing? What, what if our lives, what if we were spiritually healthy? And I, and I think we do. I think we do. I think we have spiritual health here at City Church. 
But I think that God wants to make a greater impact through our lives, through our character and through our conduct. And I think we all have plenty of room to grow in these areas. If you think you're arrived, then, then you probably have a lot more growth than you think you're, <laughs> than you need in these areas. Growing in Christ-like character is a lifelong process. Or sanctification is a lifelong process. Okay, now let me give some theological basis for this because this is what gives this thrust. Because if we just try to live out these things in our own strength, we may find ourselves becoming legalist. If we just try to live good moral lives, we may find ourselves as just moralist, just like any other religious person may do. They want to be good so that they'll be accepted by God, right? But Paul always connects our conduct and the way our duty with biblical doctrine. Okay? And here he gives the basis for it. This is where we get the power to live godly lives. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled. There, there's that word again. The same grace that saves us, and redeems us and makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus, also transforms us and trains us into living godly lives. It it, it leads us to say no to sin. The same grace of Jesus that takes care of the penalty of our sin and, and pardons us of our sin also breaks the power of sin in our lives and frees us from being dominated by sin. Okay? Be aware of settling for a Christianity that doesn't transform your life. Be aware of accepting a gospel message that doesn't transform your life. Because the true gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ changes people's lives, doesn't just pardon them from their sin, but frees them from their sin and makes them new people from the inside out. And that's marked by self-control. That's marked by upright living, by godly lives, living godly lives, lives that show Jesus, lives that adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the theological basis for these things. Many folks... In the church, they, they get the what? New, especially new Christians. They're like, what do I do? I'm a Christian now. What do I do? What do I do? Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to read. Tell me what Bible study to go to. Just what do I do? What do I do? That's great. That's great. But we not only want you to get the what to do, we want you to know why you're doing it. Okay? And this is why. Because you've been saved by grace and the grace of God is to train you and teach you and empower you, enable you to be who God has called you to be and to do what he's called you to do. Grace should not be used as a license for laziness and licentiousness and ungodly living in the name of grace. I ain't going to church. I ain't going to read my Bible. I can get drunk. I can watch that movie. I'm under grace. Folks talk like that in the church. And and grace shouldn't be used as a card. Well, I'm under grace. I can do what I want to do. Grace should be what empowers us to live above what everybody else is doing. 
right? To live godly and holy lives in this present age that's evil and saturated with lust and pride and greed and materialism. And it trains us to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus uses this phrase several times. I think he wants us to to understand that Jesus is God, the deity of Christ. Uh, Let's look at that phrase. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. That's gospel truth. Jesus gave his life. He lived a sinless life and he gave himself for us to purchase us, to redeem us, to buy us back from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people, his own special people, or as Ephesians 5 puts it, a bride without spot or blemish, holy That's why he gave himself to redeem for himself his own people who are purified and and who are zealous for good works. Okay, that's gospel. That there's an indicative. There's 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 gospel effects on our lives when we get this. Jesus gave himself not only to redeem. He gave himself to redeem us, to pardon us, but also to free us. To free us to be who He's called us to be and do what He's called us to do. We should be zealous for good works. We're not saved by our good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes it very clear. But Ephesians 2, 10 makes it also very clear that we are saved for good works. For we are His worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And if we're not zealous for good works, we may not be spiritually healthy. Okay, being zealous for good works and being eager to maintain and walk in good works is a mark of a healthy Christian. And we're not trying to earn anything from God by our good works. We're just living out the gospel. We've we've been affected like a domino effect. We've been affected by the gospel. And so now we're living godly, holy, self-controlled, reverent lives, worthy of respect because we are his people we are his own possession. And if you're living ungodly and you got ungodly habits that you need freedom from, why don't you start with focusing on Jesus who gave himself for you to redeem you and, and remembering that you belong to him. You're not your own. You've been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body, with all that you are. Give Him glory because you now belong to Him. Sin is not your master. Satan is not your master. The world is not your master. Jesus is your master. He is your Lord. Now live like it. Amen? This will preach. This should preach powerfully. Because this is, this is gospel truth. This is the same grace that saves us, empowers us to live godly lives. Don't just use grace as your pardon card, but also find it to be your power for godly living. Amen? It trains us. It teaches us to live godly lives. So an application, I'm landing the plane here. Be mindful of how your actions can make the gospel attractive. Be mindful of how important it is to have godly conduct and godly character that adorns 
the gospel and makes it attractive. Your coworkers or your neighbors may not have any other um, connection to Christianity. And you, you may be one of the few or only folks that your, your co-workers or neighbors can see up close and see what Christianity is all about. Right? If you, you blow your yard clippings into their yard, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not going to help win your neighbors to Christ, right? So reflect on how God wants to permeate every area of your life with the gospel. Prioritize growing in character and over-seeking comfort. Do you prioritize being a godly person and growing in character or do you prioritize your comfort? What's more important to you? Let's be a people who prioritizes character. That means delayed gratification. That means maybe not buying something right away when you think you need it or want it, right? You may need to just wait, practice some self-control. You know, maybe change how your spending habits. Maybe uh, check yourself in, in your speech and your words. Uh, maybe change some habits that you're walking in. And then seek to, seek to lead and disciple others in living godly lives as well. We should have a discipleship community right here that just flourishes. And that should be the primary way that we grow as a church is every person is making disciples because every person here is a minister. The work shouldn't all be on me or Mike or Kevin or, or any leader here. The work should be spread out among us and we should all give ourselves to the work of the ministry. And we teach others not just by doing a Bible study and telling people what the Bible says, but we teach people by applying it to our own lives and living out ourselves. Right. And we, and we point to our example. Like Paul was able to point to his example. Like he told Titus to, to set it model uh, an example. He told Timothy, be an example. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but be an example to the believers in faith and love and purity and conduct and speech. Set an example for those around you. Teach those around you by how you live and what you say. Amen? Amen. So Lord, would you work this in us? Would you let the weight of the gospel of grace just press upon our lives and transform us. Change the way we treat those around us. Change the way we make our decisions. The way we plan our schedules. The way that we manage our homes. The way that we work. How much we work. God, may we be a people who are zealous for good works. May there be much good fruit that comes out of our lives for the glory of your name and for the good of all those around us, for the good and the health of our church, our community. May we be truly healthy. In Jesus' name, amen.